to the book of Acts in chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is where we will be in the Word of God here in just a moment. It certainly is a good thing to see all of you this morning, to have a wonderful day that God has blessed us with, to come together as His children, to offer our worship and our praise unto Him. As we have just sung about our great God, our Father in heaven, and His Son Jesus the Christ, uh, He certainly is good. He is a great God. He is a good king to each one of us, and he has done so many good things for us in our life, not the least of which was laying down his own life, as we have already remembered this morning, and then taking up his life once again to overcome death and the devil. And certainly it is a great story of victory that not only Jesus overcame our greatest enemy and the greatest weapon that he has at his disposal in rising from the dead, But he has invited those of us who are followers of his to share in that victory. Sometimes it feels like maybe we're living a defeated life because of all the bad things that are going on around us or maybe the the difficult days that we are experiencing, the challenges that we are dealing with in our own individual lives. And sometimes the devil can work on us in that way and we can become discouraged and disillusioned with life and we can feel like we are defeated and there's really no point to going on. But in Jesus Christ, we have hope. And we are victorious people, even on our worst days, if we have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so I hope that we've already thought about those good things as we have sung together and prayed together uh, this morning. When someone meets you for the first time, I think it's very fair to say that they know little to nothing about who you are. But for many people, after just maybe a few minutes of hearing you talk or observing your conduct or seeing what kind of attitude you are displaying, they begin to formulate an opinion about who you are. They begin to know something about your character, who you are at the core. They begin to know something about your values. What are the things that are important to you or the things that are not important to you? They may even begin to know something or learn something about your interests. What is it that piques your interest in life? Is it sports? Is it hunting? Is it uh, quilts? Is it food? Is it, you know, what, what is it that is of interest to you? And as they just talk to you and observe you for a few moments, they will probably come to at least an initial conclusion about what or who influences you in your life. What is the driving force or who is the driving force in your life? And such was the case as we read here as our brother Todd's already read for us this section in Acts chapter 4 verses 1 through 13. Such was the case with Peter and John here in this chapter. As they are standing trial before the Jewish council, these religious leaders, I don't know if they had met Peter and John before or not, or if they had heard anything about them or not. But these religious leaders on this occasion, they hear them speak, they observe their confidence in Christ, and they immediately recognize them, Luke tells us at verse 13, as being men who had been with Jesus. We've been thinking this year, every month, at least one sermon a month, about being more like Jesus. We've been thinking about the perfect example, the greatest example of all, Jesus himself, in a lot of different ways. And as I said to you at the beginning of this year, uh, this is just a very, very small sampling of all the lessons we could think about in this series or these thoughts about being more like Jesus. 
we're just barely scratching the surface this year of how we can be more like Jesus. But as we conclude this morning our yearly theme of being more like Jesus, what I want us to do is focus on this text here in Acts chapter 4 to focus on this phrase that is given to us here in verse 13 of having been with Jesus and then to examine our own lives, to look at our own lives and see if there is evidence in our lives to show that we, like Peter and John, that we have been with Jesus. A little bit of background here uh, to kind of set the stage for what we uh, read here in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 3, of course, opens with these two same apostles, Peter and John, going to the temple there in Jerusalem. And Luke tells us that they go to the temple at the hour of prayer. There would have been a lot of people who would have gathered to the temple at this particular time to pray to God, a great multitude. And as they enter the temple, Luke goes on to tell us there in that chapter that they see a lame man that is begging alms. He doesn't have anyone to care for him. He can't obviously work for himself or provide for himself. And so because this is a high traffic area, he is wanting someone to uh, give of the blessings that God has given to him so that his needs can be taken care of. We may remember the famous words of Peter and John, that silver and gold we don't have, but we have something even greater, something better than silver and gold to give you. And so Peter and John stop, they heal this man, and then they preach Jesus to the crowd that is gathered here. And as they are preaching, the religious leaders, the temple captain, Seize them, they put these two followers of Jesus Christ in jail for proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They are afraid of what the message that they are getting out that is going to appeal to the people that is going to captivate them. And of course, back in chapter 3, many of them were captivated. This was a positive message. This was a great message of hope. And so they put them in jail. The next day, as we read here early on in Acts chapter 4, the Jewish council met and brought Peter and John before them. They sit them down right there in, their, in the midst of this great council this, that is formed in a circle or at least a semicircle, and they put them right there in the middle. You can think of the pressure <laughs> that these two apostles are under. Everybody is looking at them. All eyes are on them. And they asked them a very simple but a very powerful question. By what power or in what name have you done this? And so Peter replied for he and John that they had healed this lame man in the name of Jesus Christ. But then they went on to inform these Jewish leaders that Jesus was the man that they had crucified. He was the one that they had put to death. He was the one that God had raised from the dead. He was the stone that they, the builders, had rejected and he was the only one who could give them salvation from their sins. There is salvation in no other name except the name of Jesus Christ. Well, the council knew at least something about these men. At least they thought they knew something about Peter and John. Because Luke tells us there at verse 13 that they began to come to the conclusion or they knew that Peter and John were uneducated and untrained men compared to themselves. And yet, as they heard Peter speak these words about Jesus Christ, about them crucifying the Lord of glory, the Messiah of God, about God raising Him from the dead, that death could not hold our Lord and Savior anymore, and especially as they spoke these words that in Christ He is the only way that you can have salvation from your sins, Luke tells us at this same verse that they were amazed 
and his confident and convicted and well-explained answer. You see, again, I don't know what the Jewish leaders, what the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, knew about Peter and John before this occasion. But there was something about Peter and John that caused the council to recognize these two men as having been with Jesus. What was that? Well, I believe it was their words, it was their conviction, it was their zeal. All of those things showed that these two apostles had spent a lot of time with Jesus the Christ. They were following His example, even in this very uh, circumstance here. As again, they are in the midst of the Jewish council, they are under intense pressure. They are experiencing suffering and tribulation for their faith in Jesus Christ. That even in that circumstance, there was something about these two men that showed they had been with Jesus. These two apostles, I would submit to you this morning, had spent so much time with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that they were not only confident now at this point in their life that He really was and is the Christ, the Son of God, but now they were so confident that they were becoming like Him. And again, that's what we've been talking about this whole year. How can we as followers of Jesus today be more like Jesus in every part of our life? And so we want to think about that phrase a little bit more and think about our own selves and examine our own lives and see if there's evidence in our life if that is the case for us. As much as this first point is going to seem like this, I promise I did not think about this in connection to what Gavin was talking about at the 9 o'clock hour. He spoke to me last week about what he was going to preach, and I said, that sounds like a great lesson. And I hadn't looked ahead at Cody's class yet early in the week, But we're going to talk, first of all, about our words. And I want to kind of approach this maybe from a little bit different standpoint than our two brothers have already approached this today. To think about this not so much from the negative side and how our words can often get us into trouble as we have been encouraged and exhorted to think about that today, but to think about it from the positive side. Here are Peter and John, as we just read here a few moments ago from chapter 4. They they are speaking words of truth. They are speaking words of eternal life. They are speaking those kinds of words to this lame man. They are speaking those words to the crowd that is gathered to observe them talking and, and conversing with this lame man at the temple and then healing him. They are speaking these words to the council as they stand before them with their lives hanging in the balance. They are speaking words about the crucified Christ. They are telling whoever will listen about the risen Redeemer. They are telling whoever will be attuned to their words about the chief cornerstone. They're also speaking, of course, as we've already pointed out this morning, about the Jews' response, by and large, to Jesus. About how they had rejected Jesus as their Messiah. How they had put Him to death on the cross by crucifying Him. They told this audience of Jews, and even back in chapter 3, because God has raised him up, because there is salvation in no other name except the name of Jesus Christ, that they needed to repent and return to God through him. And they told whoever would listen that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And I want you to be impressed with the fact that it was those words of truth that they spoke back in chapter 3. It is those words of truth that landed Peter and John in jail. 
It is those words of truth that put them on trial for their faith. It is those words of truth that resulted later on in this chapter, in Acts chapter 4, as Luke says, that they were warned, that they were commanded, that they were ordered not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The Jewish council wanted them to be silent from now on. To not even talk, much less have a public opportunity to speak about Jesus or to teach about Him. But they wanted them to close their mouths in complete silence. They were saying, in essence, we don't want to hear any more about this man named Jesus. And yet it is impressive to me as we come later on in the chapter, as you might remember that they are are released from jail, they are warned and told that they are not to be about the mission that Christ has given them, that they go and they meet with their brethren and they spend some time in prayer there. And because of that and the Holy Spirit moving among them, that they are able to go out and preach and speak the word of God with boldness. You see, in using their words to speak, or using their mouths rather to speak words of truth, and using their mouths to speak words of life, they were following in the footsteps of their great example, Jesus the Christ. They were being just like Jesus. I want to take you back to the Gospel of John for just a moment to think about an an example of this in the life of Jesus. In the many conversations that he had, especially with his opposition, to John chapter 8, Here in John chapter 8, there is this discussion going on, not just in this chapter in John, but several chapters here in John where especially the religious leaders don't believe in the claims that Jesus is making about himself as he is trying to get them to understand that he and the Father are one, that he has come to do the Father's will, that he is speaking the words that the Father has given him to speak. So it's in all of that discussion that we come to verse 39, and we're kind of picking up here I realize in the middle of the conversation. But let's pick up there at verse 39 in John chapter 8. It says, They answered the religious leaders, the Jews, and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? Is it because you cannot hear my words? You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not, stand, uh, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. As Jesus is obviously in this conversation with the religious leaders, he is drawing a distinction between himself and the Jewish leaders. He is drawing a distinction in this conversation between his true father who is in heaven and their father. They said, no, God is our father. Abraham is our father. But Jesus was here to tell them that's not exactly true. That those words may be coming out of your mouths, but you are not speaking truth. You're really the sons of Satan. He is your father. 
And in all of that discussion as he's trying to teach them truth, notice that he said that that's exactly what he did. That he told them the truth. He only spoke truth to them in verses 45 and 46. In contrast to their father, the devil, who was speaking lies to them, he was speaking truth. And again, I want you to notice the result of all this toward the end of the chapter at verse 59. That it says, Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Somewhat of a similar result as we find there in Acts chapter 4, isn't it? With Peter and John speaking words of truth, words of life. And the people, the audience that they are addressing there in Acts chapter 4 don't want to hear that. But here's the point I want us to get out of this for ourselves today. Since the words of Jesus and the words of His apostles were words of truth and they were words of life, shouldn't our words be the same? Shouldn't the words that come out of our mouths be words of truth and words of life? Are we using our mouths to tell others of the crucified, risen, reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ? We may not be using... The words that come out of our mouths may not be dirty words. They may not be words that are tearing people down, but maybe we're just talking about a lot of things that really don't count as far as eternity goes. Are we using our mouths in the way that Jesus used His mouth and the way that the apostles in the first century used their mouths? Are we using our mouths to explain to lost people their need to repent of sin and return to God? We don't have to be mean and nasty and ugly about that. We don't have to tell someone you're going to hell. But we can explain to them how much God loves them. And God loves them so much that He sent His only Son to this world to die and to be crucified on a cross to suffer tremendously so that we could be right with God. Are we using our mouths as Jesus and Peter and John and others did to share the good news? That as Jesus said about himself in John 14 and verse 6, that he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. We need to think about our words as we've already been encouraged and admonished to do this morning. To not just say, well, I'm not saying words that are bad, but also in its place to say, ask ourselves, am I saying words that are good and words for people's eternal good? So as we look at our life and examine the evidence in our life, we first of all need to think about our words as somebody who maybe we come into a conversation with that we have never met before. And what's their first impression of us? Usually it's what comes out of our mouth, isn't it? And what kind of impression are we leaving with those people? Are we saying, well, there's a person, you know, why should I listen to him? Because he seems like everybody else around me. He's just negative all the time and, and he is... Uh, talking like the world, or do they see, well, here's a person that is kind of unique. Here's a person that I don't run into every day just by the way that he or she speaks, and there's something interesting about that person. And could the people say about us, I know that that man or that woman has been with Jesus. Let's think carefully about our words Secondly, as we think about this phrase of having been with Jesus, I want us to ask the question, is that true about our zeal in our lives? 
As we've already pointed out this morning, going back to our text in Acts chapter 4, these two apostles, Peter and John, were under extreme pressure. They were under extreme pressure to stop speaking or to stop teaching in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. Again, verses 17 and 18 here in this chapter, the words that Luke uses here about the religious leaders, that they were warning them, they were commanding and ordering them to cease. And as we've already mentioned, Peter and John say, that's really not our call to make. You you decide for yourselves. We know that we cannot stop speaking what we have heard and seen. They had Here were men who had submitted themselves to Christ's authority, And they had seen more than enough evidence for themselves as they had walked and talked with Jesus, as they had seen all of His miracles, as they had listened in on all the conversations that He had with people from all walks of life. They were confident at this particular point in their life that Jesus is the Christ. I want you to just consider a very small sampling of what these two apostles had observed in their time with Jesus They were among the first four back in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus had called to leave their fishing business behind and to now devote their lives to becoming fishers of men. They were among that great crowd that was assembled there on the mountainside to listen to Jesus preach that Sermon on the Mount as we often describe it. They had been there for the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. They had seen Jesus walk on water. In fact, Peter, one of these two apostles here in Acts 4, he had gotten out of the boat and walked on water as long as he focused on Jesus. They had been there on the Mount of Transfiguration and seen Jesus appear in a glorified state. They had been there when Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. They had been at His trial or at least outside and at His crucifixion. They had seen Him after He had risen from the dead. They were there in Acts chapter 1 and Luke chapter 24 as He ascended back into heaven to be with His Father. They had seen it all. And because these two apostles had truly been with Jesus, again, verse 20, what I just mentioned a moment ago, they said to this Jewish council, these leaders, that we cannot stop. We cannot stop speaking about what, the, what we have seen and heard. It wasn't the case that Jesus was just a good teacher for them to follow or He was someone who had helped them overcome some problems in their life. They were truly convinced to their core at this particular point that Jesus is the Christ, the risen Lord of glory, and that He is the only means to the Father. And so as they are speaking here in Acts 4, you can just imagine, at least I can, you can imagine their zeal for the Lord. You can imagine their zeal for message, the message of salvation in Him that they presented to this group of leaders. And you can see their zeal again, even as their earthly lives were hanging in the balance. And as they are standing here on trial for speaking the name of Jesus Christ. In showing their zeal for Jesus, I would submit to you that these two men, Peter and John, were again following in the footsteps of their Lord and Savior. We began this series way back in January here at this passage in Luke chapter 2. And I want to take our minds back there for just a moment. As we see, Luke is the only gospel writer that records these events of the early life of Jesus Christ. 
We don't really know a whole lot from the scriptures about what Jesus did uh, before his earthly ministry. We know that he was the son of Joseph and Mary, that he was a carpenter, uh, and this passage here, but really other than that, we don't know a whole lot about what he did, uh, where he went. But notice what Luke, Luke tells us here in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house. Here we find Jesus at the early age of 12, that he is a young man who is very zealous, isn't he? He is very zealous in doing his father's will. He is very zealous in accomplishing the work that his father had given him to accomplish. He is very zealous in being about his father's business or being in his father's house. And really for the rest of his earthly life, as we read through the gospel accounts, we find that Jesus showed that same zeal as he engaged people from all walks of life in discussions about his oneness with the Father, how he and the Father were united. As he engaged people from all walks of life in discussions about his mission and why he came to earth. As he told, his, told people and even his apostles who didn't really understand what he was saying, about his soon-to-be sacrifice for their sins, that Jesus approached all of his work and all of his earthly life with that same kind of zeal that he had there in the temple in Jerusalem. He was always on point. <laughs> he was always focused on his mission. And he did that with great zeal and great enthusiasm. Here is Jesus, our great example. Here are his messengers, the apostles, they are showing their zeal for God. And so if that's the case for them, shouldn't it be the case for us? Are we truly disciples as uh, Paul describes it there in writing to the preacher Titus and the work that he was doing with the churches on the island of Crete? Are we truly disciples that are zealous for good works? Notice the words of Paul there at the end of Titus chapter 2. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That Jesus, that God has gone to such great lengths, his desire to save us is so strong, it is so deep, that He sent His Son into the world. His grace, the Father's grace, appearing in the body of His Son, in the life of His Son, to all people. And Jesus laying down His life on the cross to redeem us 
from every lawless deed, but that's not the end of the story, but also to make us a people who would be a zealous people for His good works. When people look at our life, do they see someone who is zealous, someone who is excited, someone who is enthusiastic about being a follower of Jesus Christ, or do we seem like we're kind of ashamed of that? Do we seem like maybe we're, we're kind of uh, shy about letting people know who we are, not from the standpoint of the, that we're trying to promote ourselves to the world or to those that know us or don't know us. But as Jesus said himself in the Sermon on the Mount, when they look at our life and see our good deeds, it ought to cause them to pause and see God, our great Father, living in us and cause people to glorify him. As Peter and John stood before the Jewish council, it did not take that council very long to recognize that these two apostles had been with Jesus. What about for you and I? How long would it take for someone that has never met you to know that you too have been with Jesus? Maybe you don't even have to say a word. Just by the way that you handle yourself and conduct yourself, just by the attitude that they can see you display, by your body language, but certainly by our words and by our actions, how long would it take for someone who has never met you to know that you have been with Jesus? If we are truly striving to be more like Jesus, and I hope that we are, and I hope these lessons in some small way this year has helped us in that journey. But brothers and sisters and friends, if we are striving truly to be like Jesus, it shouldn't take very long for people to know there is something unique, there is something different, there is something refreshing about us because we are walking with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, as far as I'm concerned, this series of being more like Jesus is is over. (laughs) But it's not really over, is it? And you can probably expect some more lessons in coming months and years about Jesus Christ because his example is a perfect example for us to follow. I hope it's our mission in life, all of us who claim to be followers of Christ, as it was for the Apostle Paul, that we don't care about any of this stuff that we have. We don't care about our pride or our possessions or our position or the power that we may have, but we are willing to give all of that up, and we have given all that up so that we can truly know Jesus Christ. What about you this morning? Do you know Jesus Christ? Is it your life's goal to be more like him? If it's not because God loves us so much, because he has shed his grace and poured out his mercy on us and his son Jesus Christ and through him, We can be forgiven of our sins. We can turn from our life of serving ourselves and give our life fully and completely to knowing Him and being more like Him. If you need to start down that journey, won't you do that this morning? Come before this great audience of God's people and confess your faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, repenting of your sins. We would be happy to baptize you into Jesus Christ and you can walk in newness of life from here on out. And you can devote the rest of your life and your time and your energy and your money and all the resources that God has blessed you with to being more like his son, Jesus the Christ. If you've started on that journey and you're you're getting off path, as sometimes we all do, this is an encouragement for you to get back on the right path. If you need to 
let those needs and requests be made known publicly. We stand ready to help you, to pray with you and for you about that. If you need to just take care of that between you and God, please do that this morning. As we're about to sing this song, I am his child. Think about those things. If you need to respond to his invitation, we encourage you to do that now as we stand and as we sing.